Well, guys, good to be with you. Um, so I'm sure you're really interested in, wow, definitions. But um, I started noticing when I traveled, right? I started going like to churches in the summertime, and I'd come, and pastors would say, they'd all start apologizing to me. And I'm like, what's wrong? And they're like, well, our congregation isn't here. And I'm like, well, where are they? And they said, well, it's summertime. So I coined a phrase. June, July, and August is called the pre-rapture of the church. So everyone wants to know what the rapture is. Just go to church in June, July, or August. Everybody's just, they're gone. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a good thing. And I actually understand it. People are vacationing and doing all that stuff, and so that's the way it is. So, hopefully, oh, hopefully, we can get on with the message. Would you guys uh, grab your Bibles and go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. And what we are obviously going to cover, uh, it's up, up here, is we're going to talk about um, overcoming deception. Now, um, this actually fits in a very specific place, so let me kind of introduce this before we look at the scripture. Um, the Bible basically introduces truth consistently to you. And so the idea of deception isn't just a topic to cover all the time. They only cover it literally just a few times in the scripture because the scripture is trying to point you towards truth. But uh, several places, Jesus talks about it and Paul picks it up. He's trying to take deception and say, well, now let's look at deception and talk about why people actually get deceived and what the foundation of that is. Now, before we start on laying down some basic things, let's read the scripture here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 is where we're going to start. And this is talking about, you guys uh, ever study the end times? Yeah, okay, so you've studied the end times. Okay, so it says this. Um, it's talking about the lawless one. It says, Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth, and bring to the end the appearance, bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. Okay, so there's an activity of Satan, and with all power and signs and false wonders. Okay, and with all deception of wickedness for those who are perishing, because they did not receive the love of the truth so that they would be saved. All right, so the scripture is starting out with the concept that, and I find this actually fascinating. I don't know if you guys have ever kind of done a study on this, but up until the time Jesus came, what was the activity of Satan under humanity? It was to create deception. And he actually had authority over all humanity. So when Jesus actually died on the cross in Matthew 28, he actually stands up and says, now all authority has been given back to me. Go make disciples. And so now, instead of Satan just kind of controlling all of humanity, there are two kingdoms that are going back and forth. One's based on truth, and the second one is based on deception. Now, the question is, why is Satan allowed to constantly minister in the arena of deception with humanity? Before we get to that, answering that question, I want to lay a position for you about you as believers and this idea of deception. Do, do any of you guys worry about being deceived? Do you ever sit around thinking, oh my gosh, how do I know that minister isn't deceiving me, all that kind of fun stuff? One of the, the strongest foundations that Christianity gives us is concepts of who you are in Christ. This is why it's so important to find out who you are. One of the main things that we actually find out from 
identity statements in the Old Testament. This is actually the second time he's done this to me, and it's only when I come here to your guys' place. So thank you, John. Um, the idea of deception is really interesting <laughs> because... <laughs> okay. uh, the idea of deception is... <laughs> now I've lost my train of thought, so there you go. <laughs> so Jesus actually says that it's his job to protect you from deception. So when we sit around and worry, oh, am I going to be deceived or not, we're taking for granted the fact that since we've been placed into the palm of the Lord Jesus Christ's hand, we don't have to be extremely clever about making sure we're not being deceived. We're just called to be in relationship. It's his job to keep us from deception. Do you like that? Okay. So I feel better. Bob likes that. So let's keep moving on. And so a lot of, a lot of fear that we're motivated on about truth and deception we need to take the, the biblical position on how Jesus actually functions in your life or how the Holy Spirit is ministering to you. Uh, they're stronger than deception. And since they are, you're protected by them. And so the, one of the keys that we're going to begin to learn as we begin to look at this concept is we're going to learn the fact that um, Jesus actually helps us with this because of our position in him. It's okay, you can laugh. John's that way. I mean... I'm still trying to work through the fact that half of you have your sunglasses on, so let's keep moving forward. Yeah, I guess it's because of this? It's really bright. Is it? Okay, I, I actually should be the one with the sunglasses on because I have the light actually, but anyways, let's, yeah. Okay, so let's define some terms here. Let's take the word deception, that's what we're going to be covering, and let's define it. What, is it, what does it mean to actually be deceived? Uh, when I was looking it up, I was actually laughing at it, but it's... Um, a Greek word, apate, and it means to be given a false impression about something. Or it means to be cheated at some level. So to be deceit, it means to be taken into a place where uh, fraud has been given to you. So the question is, the enemy now deals with humanity and brings them into deception. So the question becomes... What is it that God is willing to give us that the enemy has to lie to us about to bring us into deception? Uh, that's the foundation of what we're ask, actually asking here. So, to answer that question, would you guys turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 24? Romans chapter 1, verse 24. And I know some of you are trying to write, I'll go a little bit slower. And what is very important, if we're going to work on, remember, we're, we're trying to deal with truth and deception, what we need to do is we need to lay a, a, a what we call biblical foundation of, well, what, really, what is God doing with humanity, and what is God offering humanity that humanity doesn't want from God, but they're willing to take it from the enemy? Remember, the enemy can't offer you something that God has not already created, so the question becomes, if God is willing to freely give you certain things, why don't you go his way, but you, you let the enemy lie to you, and you go his way? What, what's going on in the hearts of people? Now, this is important. She was talking about this whole thing, dealing with people and being mad at them and stuff. And you guys, you and I walk to people that are deceived. And the question is, what? there's an activity, there's literally an active activity of the evil one causing people to be deceived. Where do we see this in Scripture? It's here in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. It says, Therefore, God also gave them up in the lust of their hearts to uncleanliness. 
that their bodies should be dishonored among themselves, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so what's, what's the issue here? I'm going to take a specific word here because this is going to help us. It's the word gave up. All right, so he gave them up. So here, think about this. Tell me what you want in your life that God is not willing to give you, but he gives you with the blessing, but he doesn't give it when you want it. He gives it when it's best for you. And so mankind believes that God literally is being hard on them because they decide they know what's best for them in the season of their life. And when they take that position, they've taken a place of autonomy. Does that make sense to you guys? And you were never created to live in autonomy in relationship with the universe. You were created to relate to God and receive blessing from him. Now here, it says that they're actually giving up everything, and it has to do with the the concept, the lust of the heart. (laughs) Okay, so what's the lust of the heart? The lust of the heart is not having the heart presented to the Lord so that he's Lord over it, and you let your own emotions, your own desires, and your own pride in life decide how you're going to live. That's the issue, okay? Uh, This idea that God's trying to keep something from you, If you understand the idea of the blessing of the Lord, that even doesn't even make sense. It's God knows the time that that blessing needs to be in your life. And so are you guys like I am? In our culture, we train our children that if they don't have everything they want by the age of 20, God is being mean to them. And yet you guys know that there are certain things that 20-year-olds can't have their hands on. It'll literally destroy them. And so... The wisdom of God is to lead people in seasons of blessing and truth, not just, well, here's the world, go consume it as much as you can, so by the age of 30, you're burned out. So let's take the word gave up. It's actually really interesting. When you guys hear the concept that God gives them up, the word itself doesn't mean a word of disgust. God isn't disgusted with them. The word give up, God gave them up to what they wanted, is really actually interesting in the original language because it means God is actually fought with the person, struggled with the person, and has been along with the person trying to get them not to go that direction, but because they love it and God lets people possess what they love, he lets them go that direction. So it's not the idea that God's saying, I'm going to punish you with this. It's God saying, I'm trying to keep you from this, but you continually resist and fight me. I have to ultimately give you what you're in love with. Well, that's hard to say, isn't it? So the Greek word is, paradinamai, and it means closely beside something and to give. So the way the word would actually be translated is when it says that God has handed them over, it means that God was actually protecting them whether they realized it or not. He was keeping them from uncleanliness, and he was trying to keep their life whole, but they said, I don't want it. I don't want to be whole. I want this thing more than I want that. Now, when you ex- that's the idea of exchanging the truth from the lie. When you have to possess something, even if it destroys you, that thing has become something in your life that the Bible is trying to really help us walk through. Do you guys know what that is? It's called idol worship. So you're created to worship. Are you going to worship the Lord, or are you going to worship what you want? And when you worship what you want... You've taken the place that God needs to be at, and you, and you fight, you actually are aggressively fighting with God, 
And that becomes your Lord, and it actually has an ability to capture you and cause you to be in deception. So when we were looking at the passage earlier, let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Why is God allowing this thing going on where the enemy, actually a lawless one, comes up? And then it uses the term false signs and wonders are actually going to be given to him. And then it tells you why there's going to be false signs and wonders. By the way, just so we understand this theologically, this isn't the idea that there shouldn't be any spiritual gifts. I've had some people translate it in 2 Thessalonians and go, well, this is why you shouldn't function in spiritual gifts because after the apostles, any gifts are false. Well, that's, the passage isn't talking about the false gifts. Aren't, there are no gifts available. It's trying to talk about why there are false signs and wonders. It's because people love a lie more than they love the truth. Now, that concept of lies and truth, don't disconnect it from relationship because a lot of people see it as conceptual. Does that make sense to you? The, the gentleman that you were talking about, his issue isn't really Christianity. It's how he relates to the truth, Jesus. It's how he sees Jesus, basically. Um, there's only two types of people on the planet. Aren't you guys glad to know that? There's people that are actually are walking with the Lord and people in rebellion to the Lord. And their rebellion to the Lord has reasons why they're rebellious. But a lot of people say, well, it's because you did this to me or I had this bad experience. But if you can get them to be honest, the scripture actually says, no, that's actually not the reason. That's what they justify it with they are actually in love with something greater than the Lord. Isn't that interesting to say? That people are actually in love with something more than the Lord, and so they're willing to reject the Lord to embrace that thing they have to have. Um, do you guys ever hear the concept of addiction? It's not used very much in the body of Christ, the word addiction. It's amazing how the culture itself tries to get you caught in addiction to something. So let's, let's just take a moment and talk about what has God actually given you to understand this idea and how to protect yourself. So this is the idea of how do you overcome deception. Let's talk about how you do it. So first thing we want to talk about is learning to discern truth from falsehood. Um, this is actually, it's kind of interesting when you know the Lord, since he is truth, do you guys remember when Jesus said, now, um, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and as he's starting that conversation, he's not trying to win a philosophical argument. He's saying truth relates from a person, a personal reality, and you have to evaluate everything based on my relationship and my nature to things. So you say, well, what's the standard of truth? It comes from the nature of who God is and how he relates to you and I. Anything outside of that nature is what the Bible says is false. And so the one way that the Bible begins to talk about this is you have to begin to develop an understanding of does this comport with the nature of God? I was um, talking with uh, several people before the meeting and I'm, I'm going through this thing right now where I'm having the Lord really challenge me on leadership. Isn't that great? And several people who know me are saying, thank God. But um, the challenge is, um, ministry, the, the proposition that God is dealing with me about is the concept of the joy of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but Jesus ministered out of 
joy the whole time he was facing persecution, people threatening to kill him. It even says that when he went to the cross, he considered the joy of it. And uh, how many of you know you're going to die, someone's going to brutally kill you, and you have joy as you go into that? And so uh, this struggle that I'm actually working through right now has to deal with what heart standard are you ministering out of? And as this was being presented to me, I realized that a lot of the heart stuff or motivation of leadership that I was working out of wasn't based out of joy, it was based out of fear. Fear of losing, fear of identity, fear of what people thought, just fear. And what started happening is, as I had the Lord start telling me, this, this thing of fear, even though you know me, this thing is a stronghold in you. Right. Now, what is, um, just for our benefit, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is a series of thoughts that you and I have bought into that determine how we look at the world and how we live, okay? And so, uh, when someone pointed out to me, hey, did you notice that Jesus actually lived in the dimension of kindness and joy, and then that's actually the strength of a believer, you know what got confronted in me? Deception. I... (laughs) Bob's blessing me, but it's like he's known this for years and he's agreeing with it. So, <laughs> And so now I actually find a stronghold being confronted with truth. And are you guys ready? This is the amazing thing about truth. If it, if it comes from the Lord, because it's truth, it creates a longing for you to go there. And that's what breaks the power of deception in you. I believe that the joy of the Lord the love of God and the peace of God are extremely powerful motivations to break you free from deception. Uh, You guys ever heard this statement? Whenever God meets you at a season in your life and shows you kindness, a longing gets released in you to be around that all the time. And so you have to go wherever the Lord's at doing that, and that's how he causes you to grow. Right? It's the kindness of the Lord that leads you to repentance. And so now I'm starting to try to function and think, okay, so I've been living out of this place that has not been properly there. And what's fascinating about this is I realize a stronghold is being dealt with inside of me. So God wants to set you free from strongholds. Now, it also tells us in Scripture that we're to resist the devil, and I always like asking people, what does that actually look like to you? What does that mean to actually resist the devil? And then this is where a lot of people teach a lot of different things. I think the thing that we need to understand is, what are we resisting the devil really from? Don't you guys think that's a better question instead of just how do you resist the devil? What are we actually resisting him from? Because you know him, so he's coming to do something to you. What is he trying to do? Go with me to John chapter 10, verse 10, and let's look at this scripture. John chapter 10, verse 10. Now, this is Jesus talking about him being a shepherd and what he's like as a shepherd and how he, you know, cares for his sheep and his sheep hear his voice. And this is his shepherding ministry. And and then he begins to talk about um, a thief who's coming. And then he describes this. He says um, in John 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
So there's some powerful concepts. So when we say, how are we supposed to resist the devil? Please understand first and foremost what the devil is after, and then it'll make it easier to resist, okay? The word uh, steal, kill, and destroy are really fascinating. Um, A lot of people, when I say, what does that actually mean to you? They always point to physical realities and say, well, the scripture's talking about like that time my uncle got in a car accident, the devil killed him. Well, if you actually do some study on these words, you actually find out that for the most part, they're not talking about outward things. They're talking about what God has given you by knowing him as a shepherd. That's what the enemy's coming to steal. So what has the shepherd actually given you? Faith, hope, and love. What is the enemy trying to kill inside of you? Love. What is he trying to steal from you? Hope. What what is he trying to destroy in you? Faith. These are the things he's after, and he uses lies to do it because it creates an effect inside of you. Creates an effect inside of you and me to say, maybe God isn't who he says he is because he didn't give it to me when I wanted it. Oh, so you guys see that. All right, so let's keep moving on. Another way that you and I break, and these are called the weapons of our warfare, another way that we break free from um, deception is really kind of interesting. It's, it's a positive thing. So, sorry, the four weapons that are, that are positive or that are advancing are praise, prayer, preaching, and testimony. Praise, prayer, preaching, and testimony. I'm going to use the idea of preaching. Um, I had a, a wonderful opportunity to go to Africa. It's been several years ago, but I went three times in three consecutive years. And the third time that I went, I was with Joe and Stephanie and some other people. And um, we had gone to this town, Thiwa, and we were gonna do the presentation of the gospel. And um, when we were there, uh, the whole town got invited to it. So there's probably 25 to 30,000 people that are just standing literally in this um, like park, and then they just went down the streets of the town. And so it was really unusual. The way that they, in Africa, the way they make these stages is they, do, they don't really know how to do construction very well, and they don't have really the equipment, so these things are really rickety. I mean, as you're climbing them, you're wondering if it's going to collapse on you. Yeah, it is kind of funny, isn't it, Joe? It's kind of, and, and all of us on the team are going, I wonder if that one's going to go down this time. <laughs> so I'm literally trying to climb this thing, and I get up there, and I, and I would be uh, honest and fair to say that I would say our preaching of the gospel was pretty sad. We just kind of did it, and people just kind of looked at us, and then the Lord would say, now just tell them it's time to come home. And so we'd say, okay, it's time to come home. And there would be like this explosion of the Lord drawing people into his kingdom. And we'd just get off the stage and go, wow, the gospel is so powerful. Well, one of these times I got off the stage and I'm going back. So I'm going back to get my stuff because the minute you invite people to come to the Lord, all these pastors are trying to walk them through it. And then another group of people chase you to your car and they think you're like this rock star or something. And they're trying to rip parts of your clothes off you. So I'm grabbing my stuff and running as fast as I could to the car. (laughs) it's just the way it is over there right okay so i just you know joe was there is that true or am i making it up yeah okay so yeah and so they're wanting stuff from you and they're pulling on you and you're just trying to get away from them and you jump in the cars and they just kind of they bounce the cars until you get away from them. it's really a lot of fun you guys ought to go there sometime so i'm sitting in one of the cars trying to figure out if my life's over 
And um, the Lord starts having a conversation with me about the United States. I thought, this is a weird place to have a conversation. And he said, Brian, the last 20 years in the United States, the culture has tried to shame my people into not presenting the gospel anymore. They've tried to say that it's not necessary, there's no need for it, but it's the gospel, the presentation of the gospel is the power of salvation. It's supposed to be simple. It's supposed to connect with people. It's powerful. Whether you feel it's powerful or not, it's what God uses to call people to come home. And um, it made me realize, gosh, why am I so ashamed of the gospel? I know people persecute me and all that other, but it's actually fun to present the gospel to people. Now, remember, how, is, how do you do that? I'm not talking you have to memorize the roads of Romans or anything. A lot of the gospel comes from your testimony. Just here's what Jesus has done for me. And he comes in the middle of that. So God has given us the ability of the presentation, the weapon of just presenting the gospel that actually sets you free and sets everyone around you free. Uh, I, we have this situation. I don't know if you guys have kids, but my kids have been around this stuff their whole entire life, so they just get kind of tired of it, right? But I think it's kind of funny because what I do, instead of just presenting the God, they're saved, so it's like, what, I don't really need to get all my kids saved again. But what I do is, is they're like, yeah, I've heard this all before. I don't present it to them anymore. I quiz them on it. <laughs> so we have Bible quizzes all the time in my family, and I don't announce it before I do it. Does that sound like fun? Would you like to come to Thanksgiving with? Yeah. So why do I do that? Uh, think about this with me. Why do I do that? I don't browbeat them with it or anything. I just play a game of, of question and answer with them. Well, how, uh, um, how do you think I ought to live in response to this thing? Why, why do you think the Bible even says we have to do this stuff? Do you guys ever do that? Because I want to see how people relate to truth. If they're, if they're buying into things, if my children are buying into things that are going to hurt them. Because remember, the power of this is to pull you into something illegally when it's not time for you to enjoy it or possess it. And it's to corrupt and destroy you. Something that actually will be a blessing in the right time and the wrong time, and it'll actually do damage to you. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Let's wrap this up. How does that sound? So deception has to do with what you love. It's, a, it's amazing how the Bible deals with this. The heart was made to connect with love. And what you love, God will ultimately let you have. Isn't that fascinating? So if he gives himself to you, and that's who you love, that's what you'll have for eternity. If you don't love him, he'll actually let you have what you love for eternity. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and so the, the part about deception that we want to talk about is deception comes in two forms. It comes from outward things. So there, there really is things coming towards my life and your life that are what the Bible would describe just very simply as called the, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And it's, it's the thing that we all make jokes about, but it's actually true. It's chasing after everything everybody else is chasing after and thinking, we'll be satisfied with that. That's a, that's a form of deception, okay? Yep. The next one is called inward deception. Okay, now what is inward deception? Inward deception is what we call the battlefield of the mind. What's going on in our thinking about the world that we live in? Sad to say, um, because I, I was raised in a broken family. My parents got divorced and all that kind of stuff. I've, I've watched uh, my parents as they've gotten older, and it's kind of amazing to me that 
At this stage of my life, my parents call me to get counsel. Now, the job of parents is actually to grow wiser as they get older, and they're supposed to counsel their children, but at my family, my parents call me to give them counsel. And the questions that we're having are literally nothing more than questions about deception. Because they've given themselves to something, it's produced not what they've wanted, and they're trying to figure out, they ask me this, now why has God done this to me? Now can you imagine me telling my parents, well God didn't do that to you. This is what you pursued, and this is the effect that's actually happened, and, I, and then I have to tell them, do you, do you realize that even though that's happened, God's willing to come in and actually set you free from this at any point in your life. And so I'm always having discussions with my own parents about would you like to be free? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, do you guys realize when I've taken a bite of something that I'm not to be a part of and I get entrapped by it, the most powerful thing that Christianity can offer to people who are in deception is freedom. Do you want to be free? Do you want to come out of this? Do you actually want your heart liberated so that this thing that Jesus was talking about, and let's look at it again, comes back to you. Now remember, Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he said, I've come to give life. Now, by the way, the word life there, it's not eternal life. That's very important that you understand. The Greek word for life there is zoe. It's a quality of life. So, you ready? Here's an identity concept as we're talking about deception. People that do not have relationship with the Lord and have the Holy Spirit living in them, they are living a certain type of life. It's called a physical life. Okay? And, and the Bible gives a distinction. Um, that physical life it is different than when Jesus comes into the heart. The zoe, that's the word that's used. Zoe type life, you guys ready? The way it's described in the original language, it doesn't mean living at the same existence and yet the Holy Spirit ministers to you. It means when the Holy Spirit comes in you and makes you a new creation, you go up to a whole different plane of existence and you exist at that level. Now what is at that level? that Zoe type of life that is supposed to break you free from deception. That type of life is not only to be entered into, it's beyond what you can experience in the physical life. You get to enjoy everything that a person that lives but doesn't have the spirit in them, but you get to have a depth of it and a higher existence of it, and it's abundantly given to you the rest of your life. Now, this is what I'm longing for, this is what you're longing for, the blessing of the Lord in every area without pain. <laughs> Would you guys pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you really are the truth. You are the truth. You give us truth. You let us envelop ourselves with this reality. I ask that as we move forward into the summer months, that it wouldn't just be eternal vacation, but it would be eternal realization of the power of your kingdom in our lives. I, I, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but Lord, would you take us on a quest for the next three months of just one moment of transformation after another into this quality of life that you've always promised us. And I thank you for this time, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Amen.